coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, we are back in the can with another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. I am the fucking pilot, and once again, via the magic of Skype, I got somebody to tell me some, wow, some real stories. <laughs> so tell me, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? My name is Jim Matthews, and there has got to be a bunch of people right now wondering, really? They're, uh, right now, they're, there's a bunch of people going, oh, shit, I hope he doesn't tell that story. Well, and there's, but I think there's enough people that are first thinking that, then thinking, yeah, but I have the video. And to all you that have, all you people that have the video, it's usually bad. And I do have children and now grandchildren, so I will happily pay whatever ransom or or uh, Good whatever know. it takes to to not have that video. I can Good. throw some names out right now, but there are some videos that I don't, or pictures that every now and again someone will say something's on my Facebook and I have to run. To a yeah. Computer oh, yeah. So, to get down. What? So, we're not talking about golf that you were into. Ugh. What was your sport right, of choice? So, well, it was skydiving, and 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 I got into it completely by accident. Um, it was funny because I was I was actually looking for a sport at the time, but not just the sport. I was looking for the camaraderie. I had I had. I was going through a period in my life where I was bouncing all over the country for training. So mm. I had this really interesting job where uh, 12 of us were, were handpicked for this automation position that Rockwell had created. Okay. I was the only guy, I was the only guy from California. Um, so I had broken my back in 94, spent two years, a couple surgeries, and so electrical contracting was out. But prior to that, you know, I grew up at North Star Tahoe. I, uh, daycare for us was skiing. Um, you know, in the afternoons in 1970, they built North Star. My dad was electrical contractor that that got the job. Oh wow! So, so my earliest memories are having skis put on my feet, and then daycare was if it, it we skied till the rocks ruined our skis, and then we spent the rest of the summer on the mountain, nice. and then weekends down in the valley. And so, um, I got married, had a kid, uh, and uh, two kids. Uh, one that that just became my my daughter by choice after two years. She was mine. Uh, she was two years old when I met her. And so I had this lull, and during that time, um, nobody would touch me for physical therapy, so I finally get someone that, that'll get me tuned back up, and I can't rope on horses anymore. I can't do anything, but I could ski. And all my buddies at the time were now getting married and now having kids, and we had this huge group of friends, but I missed that camaraderie. In fact, I'd actually gone out after all this training and going all over the country. I'd actually gone out and bought and skydiving, or excuse me, scuba diving equipment. Okay. So I ended up living in Davis. And, uh, um, I had to go to a conference after all this training. So two years of training, trying to think of something, I I'm going to have to figure out a way to do something with my spare time. Skydiving was not even a, 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 a possibility or a thought, but I mm. had passed that 1-800 skydiving sign on in, on 80. And, and this so, is, uh, this is in Davis, California, Davis, California. Okay. So, so I'm in Atlanta. Fast forward to the first day there, um, you take your customer on two days of boondoggles and we sit down and first thing in the morning, he says, I want to go skydiving. By the time we get there, um, he's, you know, you told a story about a guy who's all pumped and jacked and ready to go skydiving and he starts to slow it down and all of a sudden he's, you were, you were talking to Moz. Oh yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's more, the closer we get, the more realistic it's getting for him. And then all of a sudden he's, he's telling me, you got to go with me. I can't go if you don't go with me. And I'm like. And you got to keep him thinking, happy. 
yeah, so now I'm thinking, am I going to get fired? Can I get fired if I do this? And then I, so I thought I better make sure I, at least this is going to seal the deal. So fast forward, they gear us up, we get in the airplane and he slowly but surely is shutting down. Um, <laughs> but I'm ramping up the smell of it, the folks, the camaraderie. I'm going to jump with Mike Gruwell, who I don't know if you've ever heard that name. He, he's a shooting star. Um, unfortunately, he's had a couple of uh, things happen in the sport to him that are just tragic. But uh, that's another story. But he 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 made it really fun for me. And he also, I think, could tell that Mark wasn't excited about the jump. So he was going to really concentrate on me. Right. And he knew I had a lot. He knew I had a lot of cash. So we have a video flyer. We have we have my guy and we ended up jumping. I think it was a porter or maybe a, was that a platus or a porter. Yeah, yeah platus porter. Yeah. And I, I forget about Mark for a while. And these guys are joking. They've got you know, a hustler magazine and they're passing around inside this thing and they're having a ball, the, the gals packing. And it's, the whole thing was just fascinating. And I'm thinking to myself, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to do this. This is just crazy. No, no fear, no worry. It hits me though, when wherever they were jumping, they had to right on jump run, they paused because there was a, an airliner that was on final. So we had to wait. Sure. So the guy, the guy pitches the plane up and they're holding the magazine up in the window and we're just all cracking up. And that's when I gl glanced over at my customer who's not laughing. He's not anything. He's just, he's a noodle. So he exits. I think that's fascinating to watch them climb out on the strat, uh, sure. the strut with the camera pointing else. And then we exit. And I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, everything slowed down and not for the reasons that everybody thinks I have a primal fear of loud sounds. Oh, wow. So, which I've had to cope with as a kid. So boat racing or, or motorcycles or anything that was a sudden loud sound, my coping mechanism was to stop, slow down, think about what's causing that sound. So we exit the aircraft and I'm fascinated with the fact that this camera flyer is right in my face and all of a sudden it's getting louder and louder and louder. And that instinct kicked in overload too wow. much noise. Sure. So for a brief second, I got to slow it down, tell myself what that sound is and it keeps getting louder. And then now the force of the wind hitting me. Sure. So now that's a new feeling. So I had to calm myself down for that. And then pop, everything is colorful, slow and calm and nothing else matters. Isn't that cool? And I had never experienced anything like that in my life. And I wanted to flip around in my harness and just <laughs> geek through well and tell him, dude, you've changed my life. So I can't do that. So I'm trying to tell the cameraman it's, I'm a new man, you know, and I don't know too many sports, honestly, that can do something like that. That's basically the effect it had on me as well. As soon as I was out the door, it was, it was a, a whole new game. I, I didn't, I didn't want it to end. It seemed like it was going on forever and the camera flyers geeking me. And it just, I remember looking at the horizon. I can tell you the runway numbers. I can, I can right now, I can picture the entire thing. Like I, the greenness of the grass that time of year, the whole thing was fascinating. So the canopy opens up. It kind of hurts my back because remember I had that back injury, but the harness was tight enough to kind of keep it. And then we had what I found out later was a, uh, a slider up civil and, and it, we kept going. So, mm. it, and I had, I've had a couple of uh, tandem cutaways and one or two high speed miles. It never quite felt like that. We slowed down and then we started to accelerate. Hmm. I had no idea what was going on. Camera flyer went away for a minute, but then he came back to us. <laughs> and he didn't have that same happy look on his face. Right. It looked like he was doing a lot more studying, and I could feel Mike grew on the back of me thrashing. I remember thinking, 
do you need any help? Because that's what I do. I fix shit, right? Sure. So no idea what's going on. No concept that we're having any kind of trouble. Just this is a lot softer than I thought. Because don't we go up and he goes down and everything else? And then all of a sudden he finally flips over. And I remember him opening up and seeing the numbers 2-8 below him, which I'm pretty sure that's the number of the runway. Right. And then he did like a turn and a land. And then, oh, whomp, we open up to the shrill of a sound of what had to have been his dinner now, I know. Sure. Going off. He says something like, God damn it, oh, shit. And then hands me the toggles. And we're on the wrong side of the airport. He points <laughs> us the right way in the wind and says something like, perfect. Okay, hold these right here. Don't move. And then, ba-boom, straps come off. And we just beeline it all the way back to the landing area. We've obviously screwed the cameraman. Right. Who I get to watch try to shred his gear and run with us across the ground trying to catch up to, sure. to film the landing, And we end up straight in landing. The other camera flyer for Elsie puts the camera in my face to film my landing, but even my guy's still screaming, how was that? You know, from, you know, 40 sure. yards away. And then Elsie's uh, on the drop zone taking a knee, <laughs> totally covered in sweat. And I'm thinking, oh, well, if, it, if, it, if I don't get fired for this, I got to... I wonder if he'll even be able to make the show. He looks like he's ruined. And so I had a lot of time to spend with Mike just talking about Scott having how to get into it. And he seemed put off at first until I started busting out hundred dollar bills. Well, yeah, that, uh, that'll change somebody's mind, especially a fucking skydiver. Because he had come, I guess, wasn't planning on him being there. The reason he let the canopy snivel that long was he didn't want to pack it. He's a rigger. And he knew we were fine. He just needed to get the damn slider down. And, and apparently that rig was famous for slider up problems. No. And he got it down. And then the camera flyer, camera flyer said something to him like, I didn't think that was going to come down. He's like, I got to get, I got to figure this out. This one rig does this all the time. And that, and the more they're talking and how calm he was, was fascinating. And you were just roped in from right there. Well, and you actually ended up taking your skydiving career a long damn way from there. I mean, you, you did uh, everything from shooting uh, four, you shot for a four way team. Uh, You became a tandem instructor. Were you AFF instructor as well? I did AFF first before I became tandem. I did AFF the week before I became a tandem instructor so with you, Jay Stokes. Wow. So you got your AFF rating first. That's a fucking tough rating to get. I mean, that's no you joke. Know the, but for me, it wasn't. And here's why. I was the first of our group of people to get it. And it wasn't, I'm not going to say it wasn't tough, but we had the pre-course with Keith who told us none of you are going to pass. But you have to remember from jump like 176 on, I was a camera flyer who'd been told just keep us all in this little dot on your forehead. It wasn't even my camera helmet. Right. And so like Forrest Gump with the, with the, the ping pong ball, I didn't know how my body made my face go where it was going, Right. but it did. Yeah. And on my very first jump, how I got to be camera flyer with kaleidoscope was not only I was paying my own way, that obviously helped. But um, from jump 176 on, I kept a heading and kept them uncomfortably close to the camera, which was unusual because I had figured out on my own on accident, how close I can get to the burble, took them out once, never <laughs> took them out again until later when I started screwing around with it. Um, but was shooting video that people had thought, wow, you've been doing this for a while. And I hadn't, that's, we actually shot, well, we actually shot a video one time because people were having a difficult, when we first got the pack. People were having a difficult time figuring out what's the best way to exit. You know, they've mastered it now. I was just doing a standard camera exit off a step. And I had the benefit of the fact that my team was new enough to where they were still flying the hill relatively slow, but I was keeping them all in frame. And, and we flew the 182 over the top of the pack to kind of get a look down and also 
other drop zones were getting their packs and having similar issues. Should the camera step be further back? Should it be further forward? And so they filmed me exiting and that picture of how I contorted my body, my face is straight, but my body is completely twisted. And basically what I did is I kicked off the plane and turned my feet upside down. Mm. So they're flat sure. to, the, to the hill. But my arms are kind of in a funky position, and I don't remember ever doing that. And for the next couple of jumps, knowing that's what I was doing on the exit, I ended up doing a barrel roll because I was thinking about it, and I had to stop thinking about it to oh, get yeah. back into my normal routine. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. The first time I ever saw video, outside video of me shooting video, I was shocked and horrified. I'm like, oh, my fucking God, that's what I look like? But you'd watch my video next to the outside video, and my video was just rock solid and not moving at all, and everything's in perfect frame, but I'm flying like I've got serious physical ailments going on. And the funny thing about that was when when Pat McGowan started coaching us as a as a uh, as our coach and why he took us on as a team. I mean, we became such good friends with Pat, you know, God rest his soul. But but um, he he stuck me in the camera or in the tunnel, excuse me, to make up time when he would grab the team after they had all gone in. And, and he's he's coaching them up along the side of the tunnel. And I'm just in there filling time and he would glance over and then see something I was doing. And he'd also watched a couple of videos of me doing camera work and realized I can tune all that spasm that you're doing with your body out. Sure. And and show you how to use your feet and your hands. I think in one of your videos, you talked about watching some of the guys in the tunnel and they're making these moves that you just I, I'm the same way. How are they doing that? Yeah, I don't see any body movement. They're just their body's going that way. But what are they doing? And and. Later, I, I started looking at video of me skydiving and you just see me looking, you know, my hands go up and down. One hand goes up and down. And oh, yeah. also when I when I started doing larger jumps, people could fly underneath me and I could anticipate that burble just just as quickly as I could without making a sudden move, because that sudden move translated into the video in your head. Sure. And so you sudden jerks. I mean, I had a I had a I had a horseshoe malfunction at Paris one time. And if you watch the video, you can't tell that I'm trying to remember what do you do with a horseshoe <laughs> from. 10,500 feet down to about six. I'm thinking, okay. So I remember the picture was over my head. That's a horseshoe. But what do you do? Because I got the D bag between my legs right now, but I'm still filming the <laughs> the jump. You see me a little bit looking side to side and I'm thinking, so I know I don't cut it away yet. I have to, well, I better make a decision quickly because it's, you know, altitude, altitude's your friend. And, and then I, I was, okay, one, two, three. So I pitched and then I remembered, just in time that the D bags between my legs, but not in time to avoid the inevitable. Oh, for Christ's sakes. I couldn't breathe. Oh, I bet you I couldn't just, breathe. I, I, oh, I left the brakes in. I, I was just happy that the parachute opened, but I left the brakes stowed for a good three minutes until it came and went. And if you're a guy, you know it came and went. So, so. that's actually a good spot to segue into some stories from you. <laughs> you are – the fact that you're walking – at oh, all, fuck. but the fact that you can you can you're getting up and walking in a straight line and you're healthy and you're doing stuff and that the only reason you're not still a super active jumper is because of your kids, is fucking astounding because you are the single most broken skydiver I've ever met. Like you know when when the new <laughs> when, movie when, they... when the new movie Glass came out. I thought of you first, because I'm like, if oh, I know shit. any fucking Mr. Glass, it's Jim fucking Matthews. <laughs> yeah, I, I, every, every time I opened up a parachute magazine and saw the statistics, I thought to myself, I am the reason you guys have low numbers or high numbers, because every 300 jumps on cue, I broke 
something. But someone made a comment to me one time, you know, I've never read an incident report about you, but I've also seen you in more contraptions and braces and and crap and heard stories that, oh, yeah, where's Matthews? Oh, he's in the hospital. Yeah. He'll be there for a few yeah. days or yeah, or he broke his, you know, he tore his ribs open again or he's, he's got this bone sticking out over here. And But it never – just like there was never a moment in the sport that that because I saw many people have that I'm done, and I always just kind of like when when I would see people quit drinking, I would think God, I'm gonna have to do that someday. But I, I never had that that moment where no, well, dude, I can't jump, jump jump twelve. I tib fibbed so bad that I almost lost my leg. I was in the hospital for ninety days, and then when I was out of the hospital, I had a pick line and a boot. Um, Pick line is a you know for for antibiotics. I had a ser- severe infection, a blood infection, and I made my jump thirteen. With uh, that's how I got the the red and white jumpsuit. Was uh, I talked Milan into taking me for a skydive, and we couldn't damn near wear the boot that I had this big contraption on my leg. So we went and busted one of those you know those like uh, surveyor stakes. Yeah, we busted one of those in two, and we duct taped it to my leg. <laughs> but there was no way I could walk into the team room like that. So. I think he or somebody went into Action Air and bought a big baggy pair of red and white pants that would fit over that. Oh and, my uh, god! That got me into the into the the gear room to, to get geared up for Jump Thirteen for my recurrency, with a pick line in my arm that we duct taped. You know, because it's it's a it's a yeah it's a it's an intravenous. So that was Jump Thirteen. Well, I don't and, know how uh, many times I've seen you um, with crutches or uh, some type of external fixator or something fucking going on and you're talking about when you get back in the air and most people would be you know laying in a barca lounger with multiple broken bones after well let me just ask how many skydiving related surgeries have you had now i've never really thought about that 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 one i almost lost my leg in the 90 days i was in the hospital i had surgery every I think it was for the first two or three weeks, every 36 hours, because I had compartment syndrome, which which was because the break was so bad. Um, it was a tib, it was a tib spiral fib, and then um, the ankle was destroyed. My foot was actually backwards when I hit the ground, so mm. uh, it it had destroyed the ankle. They were going to try to fuse it, and then in by day four or five, compartment syndrome is where everything swells. Sure. So they have to then fillet your leg. And I got really lucky. I don't know if you've seen people that have, I think Pete Galley and some others have had compartment syndrome. They're missing a big chunk of their tissue. Sure. I was lucky to keep a lot of mine. Um, so the untold number of surgeries for that one. Um, and that's just the first one in skydiving. Oh, yeah. No, I shredded my shoulder a couple times. I uh, uh, hurt my back. The back I never had to have surgery on during. And you have to remember, I was a pretty good drinker, so I was anesthetizing pretty well. <laughs> uh, and that was the weird thing when I quit drinking was to convince my my doctors that I that I wasn't drinking because of my back pain. Um, because if, if you, and you know better than anybody else, I didn't take a lot of pain medication sure. to, for the back pain. But, you know, alcohol is a wonderful anesthetizer of course so at the is. end of the day I, I i don't think i ever said to anybody my back's killing me i need to drink so um and that was a i mean just untold i mean i i, I tore my mediastinum which is the 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 tube that goes to my left lung and <laughs> and cracked cracked my sternum on a on a on a saber two uh oh that back up that that sh- <laughs> shredded leg on jump 12 was under a 270 <laughs> oh, god and 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 do you know why that happened? No, why because did that happen? A, 
a brand new coach asked me if I wanted video on like my second or third solo. And he said, you know, let's bang out a coach jump and I'll do video. I came in to land short of the student field trying to make sure I could see him. So I was on video and forgot about the flaring part. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happens. So when, so when I so I'm making sure he's running at me with his camera helmet and I'm like, this is going to be so cool. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking at him, I'm almost eye level and I haven't flared yet. And when I do go to flare, I punch the toggles between my knees, between like between my knees right. and bring my feet up to my chest. No <laughs> PLF, just in a panic. And you just, I, my left hip dislocates <laughs> and I Joe Theismann, my right leg. Oh, Jesus. And then, I'm, and then on, he puts the camera helmet down. It's still rolling and I'm begging him, turn my foot around. Listen, <laughs> me, look, at me, look at me, turn my foot around. And he's like, and you can hear the guy in the van from the student field. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. <laughs> he's almost about to turn it around. I'm like, it hurts. Turn the damn foot around. I can't reach it. Turn that foot, the one that's backwards. Turn it around. Oh, kept no. Telling oh, no. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, no, no, that's not good. That's not, wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the media steinum break was a, or the, the sternum break was a, uh, um, I was, I had seen the plane landing, looked at the sun coming back from Fairfield wearing khakis and a button down shirt. Uh, Chris Hackler was flying, or maybe you were flying. No, I think it was Chris Hackler. And they were doing a, uh, uh, was Jenny and Marcus were doing a jump with Milan. I think Galley was on the load. They were going to reshoot the video for the, uh, you know, here's a look for the classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, I went to the team room, unlocked it, grabbed my rig, gear checked it on the run, wearing Allen Edmond leather shoes, khakis, and a button-down collared shirt just came from work, pitched my wallet and all of my shit right there on the, uh, on the you know the the area that the we would all wait for the plane right signaled to hackler hop and pop threw all my stuff on and didn't pay attention he took me to six thousand feet <laughs> and so i i left the plane and thought oh i can't see it. i don't have any goggles i don't have an altimeter i don't have anything so i thought i'll take it a little bit i don't want to ride under canopy too long and i went okay that's about right pitch the parachute don't remember a thing blackout and you know, it turned out the slider was stowed. Whoever had packed the parachute the night before, and I don't want to name names, but had either left the slider stowed. I couldn't move my arm, so there's no way I reached up and unstowed or, right. or stowed the slider. So that thing opened hard, blew two end cells off of the uh, the Sabre two on the right. When I came to, I'm looking down at the gun club and immediately reached for the D-handle, just thinking, get fabric over your head, and I couldn't move my left arm, and I couldn't catch my breath. <laughs> and the damn thing was I finally decided I got to do something. So I reached up and I grabbed the, the, the right, um, toggle, pulled it down. It was just nothing. And I thought, okay, well I'm along for the ride. And for whatever reason, it put me down very gently right next to the peas. The wind was just right. I did like three little circles and then a gust came up and it laid me down on my back. You're just not supposed to be dead. That's just and, what it is. And I couldn't move. And Galley, he's the first one to come down, sees me on my back next to the peas. And for whatever reason, he does a, 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 a 180 or a 360, whatever, for his swoop and thinks I'm laying down for him to swoop me. <laughs> so I'm signaling help, right? He thinks I'm signaling swoop me. I have what? no idea. So the next thing I see is tennis shoes go by my face like he's trying to tiptoe my nose. But then uh, Milan lands. 
And you see Milan in the video looking over and he's yelling, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. Hang on. Cause he knows he saw it. He right. knows something. Right. And he, and he's figuring I've augured. So I must be just tore up. Sure. And then, uh, Jenny and Marcus land, Marcus comes running over and he's like, how bad are you hurt? And I'm like, I, I just can't breathe and I can't feel my arm and my chest is really bad. And so they took me to the hospital and you know, when you walk in clutching your left arm, yeah, that's bad. Opening, they think heart attack. And then all this air had filled up in my chest. So I was having trouble breathing because I'd torn that, that mediastinum. Oh, Jesus. And then Christ. my first words were, how long does it take for that to heal before I can jump? Of course it was. Of course it was. Yeah. Well, I, I... <laughs> Besides the fact that you have injured yourself more than anybody else I know in skydiving and continued not only to keep just as much enthusiasm for the sport, but keep going back for more, it, it literally was, and it wasn't a running joke, it was just a running theme, is Jim Hurt. <laughs> you wouldn't even... But, and, and it, it's funny because if I'd have been able to add... My, my dad's a pilot, my younger brother's an airline pilot. They always said, if you, if you could have added power on 10 or not nine out of 10 of those injuries, it was all landing. Oh yeah. Even when I, and even when I, when I started flying and took some flying lessons, apparently I would get to a certain point where I stopped flying the aircraft. I'm sure you've heard that term. Oh yeah. That's pretty common. I've set it up for landing. And then they're like, you've got three feet to go. Stop. What do you mean? Fly. Yeah. I've had the instructor reach over and add a little bit of power and, 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 you know, maneuver. I'm all ready to go. And, if you look at the video of me landing, I'm looking in the wrong way or I'm looking at somebody else or I've flared too early. I mean, there's a funny story where I'm doing my, my tandem rating with Jay Stokes. He says, give me the, he's got a, for whatever reason, he had a brand new rig and he had a brand new parachute that was a little bit smaller than all the other tandems that were going in Sigmas. I don't remember, but it was like a couple square feet smaller. So he said, don't get this rig muddy and don't get this, this canopy muddy. But we had come in and we had sort of, gotten into the pattern a little bit too soon. And so he said, give me the, give me the, they're, they're all going to go downwind. We don't want to go downwind. So he grabs the, the toggles from me on like jump four, makes a couple of swish, swish moves for the peas and then realizes, uh, no, we're downwind. Oh. So he hands me, he hands me toggles back and he says, okay, well, and he also had this like three stage flare where it was like one, two, three, the sure, flare. Sure. We're coming into the P's. I glanced over at the flag and, you know, downwind landings was the only thing that would upset me. If someone set the pattern up, Carl, and <laughs> got, got the uh, FN, new, you know, FN new guy, our, we had a guy join our team and he set the pattern up wrong more, more than I did on my own. And uh, that was my fear of, of downwind landings. And there I am looking at the flag and I'm thinking we're going to downwind. And I did the, the one stage, two staged, and that canopy popped 25, 30 feet straight up in the air. Oh. So I punch it, wrap my arms around Jay Stoke and yell in his ear, PLF, PLF. And he just turns his head and yells in my ear, you fucking think? <laughs> and we just, boom, boom. And I took him all the way under around and got underneath him and he just laid there and he said, don't move. I heard everything break. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, just hold on. And he unclicks himself and he's like, everything broke. And I'm like, I think that I feel good. And he's like either that or every knuckle in your body just popped or oh. I mean the crunching sound. Sure. And I thought, well, I'm failed. <laughs> that was the end of that. Well, well, it's like the AFF. I thought I failed. I mean, his, he comes out to do our AFF. I think there was eight or nine of us, and uh, I was the first to pass. And again, it was because I had only really known how to belly fly. 
So what do you knew? What do you, what do you need to make a good AFF instructor? Yeah, no. Anticipate anticipate what's about to happen. Yeah. And so he had his buddy with him that was going to screw up, and and I had I had filmed the other people doing their you know trial run, and then and then they're going to challenge the the jump. So I had, I had anticipated, I'd started to see the pattern of what they were going to do. Sure. So I knew this was going to be the jump where he's going to flip over on his back, or that's going to be the jump where he's going to try to get away from me, or he's going to give me a look like he's coming towards me. And then he's going to just disappear sure. backwards. So I could anticipate all that. Like it was the team in front of me, which is awesome. So, yeah. So I was on him instantly all the time. The only thing I was having troubles with was remembering if I'm reserve side, do I pull, do I, you know, what are my signals and all sure. that kind of stuff. But sure. He had been dumped out on his reserve on the AFF course like three times at Davis. And so that was our only rule is don't dump out Jay Stokes. So he pulls me aside and says, hey, I'm going to need someone to do video the rest of the week for the rest of these guys. Some of them are struggling. Some of them are going to quit and some of them aren't going to pass. You're close. I think you've got the two jumps under your pocket that you can challenge. Why don't you go ahead and do the last one, which is the one where he flips over on his back and you got to right. flip him you back roll over. Him over. Yep. Right. And so he's going to hose me on exit. He's going to hold on to the airplane and ditch me. And I had seen him do it to two other people. So I anticipated that. So I got a good purchase underneath his leg strap. <laughs> Took and him when you. I left, the oh, he, he had nothing to hold on to. Unfortunately, it dislodged his D handle. So we get off the plane. He gets away from me. He's backsliding, but I'm right in his face. Then he turns to his side and tries to track past me. I turn and I kind of reached for him because you were allowed to grab him if it was like it seemed like an uncontrolled spin, but right. I didn't touch him because I was right there with him, sort of slide sliding. And then he flips over on his back, and that D handle is just wavy, waving in his verbal. And it was a real D handle. Right. Flew up, grabbed him, grabbed the D handle, held it in his face. And I'm looking at my altimeter. You know, we're at like 7,500 feet. And it's the only time I've ever heard anybody in free fall. He yells and I show it to him. He takes it out of my hand and I let go and I start to back away. And just as I'm backing away, he yells, finish the fucking skydive. And I could hear it. <laughs> or at least I thought I heard it. I saw the mouth right. the movement fly back in. He he's holding onto his D handle, flip him over, pitch him. And then we land. And I'm thinking, God, the one thing he told me not to do is kick out his reserve. At least it didn't come out. And uh, we land and he says, well, that's good. Let's let's get you right back on the horse. Let's get you back in the air um, that, you know, I don't know where you caught the handle. You must have caught it on exit. You, you tried to get cute when you drug me off the plane. So maybe you grabbed it then. And then I'm just dejected and I'm walking towards the team room after getting all my stuff in the, in the hangar. And, and I walk over and he points at me with that point, you know, the point. You oh, know, yeah. You're an AFF. And I thought, I'm up. No. Congratulations, you're an AFF instructor. All right, Marcus, you're up next. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. back, what? That's it. I'm it. I'm, 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 and then I didn't even have a chance to really enjoy it. And then the rest of the class looks at me like, you fucking asshole. You, <laughs> you don't even, I didn't even have 500 jumps at the time. I think I had to go do about four more pop and pops that afternoon to get Just caught to up. Just to get the rating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fucking hell. And then, I, and then he calls me and says, hey, I got a cancellation. You want to get your tandem next week? And then yeah. you and then you PLF him after the D. The, oh Jesus Christ! So well, yeah. you know what's funny about your career is is uh, you had so many lows, but you had so many highs to counteract exactly that. I mean, for every shitty story you've got, you've got a fucking hilarious one or a wonderful one. Uh, quite a few of which I was lucky enough to be there for some of these. Um, well, to give, to give people a little perspective, I lived at the drop zone. Yeah, you did. So. 
you know, with less than a hundred jumps, I move into the double wide living on the drop and zone. living on the drop zone, living the dream. What, and, uh, what was the, uh, um, what was the name you guys gave for climbing up to the, the beacon? Oh God. You've heard about that story. Yeah. So, so that, that was the beacon, the beacon number. Yeah. So which the, we actually, I, for years, I thought it was the beaker number because I, I, I don't know why, but. So now we're talking about, but, for everybody listening, we're talking about the gosh, airport beacon, the flashing red beacon light, red and white, or uh, green and white beacon light that's flashing on the airport. Look at this. A fucking pilot just used the wrong colors of the beacon. That's horrible. Anyway, uh, the beacon on the airport that notifies pilots of where the uh, that damn airport is. So te- you got to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what the occasion was, but I think I had got, first of all, Milan Cook. I love you, brother. You, he's my skydiving master Zen. If Milan says it, it's code. If Milan says it, it's the way it is. If Milan says altitude's your friend, altitude's your friend. If you screw up, Milan pulls you aside and very gently says, uh, that was, you know, his Dutch accent, that was stupid. So don't do that again. And Milan, to, the, to this day, we see each other all the time. We keep in communication. You know, he comes up and duck hunts once a year, maybe twice. I mean, we are we we stay close. Sure. And so I think I had just gotten my coach rating. There was some something, and we were sort of all celebrating. And he said, well, you, 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 uh, I'm slaughtering his accent. But he says, you got to go tonight. When it gets dark, you've got to get your beaker number. And I said, well, what's that? And he goes, well, you climb up the airport tower and, and you ride the 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 beacon so i immediately i think by that time we'd had the i think I, I think we'd gotten the golf cart i immediately drive down to this thing to give it a look and there's no way to get to the ladder because they've got it for idiots like me that can't get to it they've got it set up to where you can't get on it right and this tower's not that tall tall enough and so yeah tall enough and so i look at it and i'm like that light's going around but from the ground you can't tell that the light sticks up over the catwalk a good four feet so from the ground it looks like oh shit even if you fall off you fall into the 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 catwalk around around, you know it's a skinny little tower that goes up anyways sun goes down we're all standing around the bonfire and that light green white green (laughs) and he looks at me and says are you ready and he's and he's, he's he's apparently this is never been done or at this drop zone, but he's got it. Just uh, let's see, would you be number nineteen or twenty two or we got to figure out which number to make it official. So I think this is really a thing. Sure. Right? Pete Bonzer overhears the conversation. He wants in, <laughs> and I think Marcus Tetral decides. Marcus, if I'm wrong, decides he's in. But I think that was the trio, which is actually the story trio that you you wrote about. All right. So we get down there and I, of course, have to go first. So I climb up the thing and that's when Milan announces. We back my car up to it, climb up on top of my expedition and get up on top. This thing's going wow, wow, wow. And you can hear the heat coming off it. And it has these aluminum fins on these two giant opposing floodlights. And the heat coming off this thing is awesome because I'm freezing cold. And then Milan says, you have to do it naked. (laughs) Okay. So I don't know why. But I'm butt naked faster than you could say, take your clothes off. 
And I didn't just set my clothes down on the catwalk. I pitched them off over the side. Everybody's in <laughs> tears. Video cameras are rolling. All I'm looking down at is a bunch of red lights looking up at me. And I'm trying, I get up on the catwalk and I'm trying to time this to where I'm going to hop on this thing. It's like a saddle, right? It looks just like a saddle. Right. I'm going to hop on this thing. There's really nothing to hold on to. And then somebody said, you got to go three revolutions. And I go one, two, hop. And immediately smell the burning flesh, which is my scrotum, gluing itself to the fins. And I immediately think, okay, pain threshold. How long can I take this before I have to hop off, right? Because this is – now I now I see smoke. And and uh, so I reach, I reach down with one hand to try to kind of get it underneath the scrot, which then burns the knuckles. And – Someone yells, that's good, or something like that. And you know in the movies, you're laughing, but you know in the movies, there's always that scene where the guy falls off the cliff and manages to grab the branch, and you're like, that's physically impossible, right? right? I dove off the light, but because the light's taller than the catwalk, I missed the catwalk oh, with my left with my left arm. Remember, my right shoulder's all jacked, so I do everything with my left mostly. So I, so I jump off, and, I, and the hand misses the catwalk and now just that, that that just like with loud noise that slow motion response kicks in and i'm thinking naked contorted dead on the ground or if i'm not dead arm behind the head i got to get some who am i going to convince to pull my legs at least out from underneath me and and cover up my junk so i'm not too embarrassed before i either pass before the ambulance guy gets there or and all of a sudden my other arm hooks the catwalk in such a position that it kind of catches in, in the crux of my elbow, which leads my hand to grab it. And now I'm hanging from the top part of the catwalk <laughs> by one arm. And I think Polly or maybe Brian Brownlow or someone on the ground is screaming, hold on. <laughs> and I was like in my brain thinking, Oh, I'm holding on. I mean, <laughs> I'm holding on. And then there was a pause when they realized I wasn't going to fall. And, uh, I remember, I remember that, you know, still being in that slow motion and thinking I'm going to live. And then I got a hold of it with my second hand, but now I have to figure out a way to get, cause I'm, I'm not strong enough to pull myself up, but I'm hanging and this thing hangs a good four or five feet away from the, the tower that holds this thing up. Right. So I'm going to just hang, hang here for a minute and let the pain in my scrode stop and in, in between my legs <laughs> and figure out how I'm going to save my life. And then uh, it turns out what you're supposed to do is put your T-shirt down over the top of the light <laughs> before you get on it, which which explains why when I threw my clothes over the slide, Milan yelled, no, no. Well, OK. <laughs> so. Uh, and I've unfortunately had to show that scar. Oh. A, a lot a lot of these stories, somebody will overhear them. I remember one time I was telling the story about the hawk, the bird strike that kept whatever flying over. I mean, we had, what, video of that thing hitting me 15, 20 times. Yeah. And I'm telling that story. And some guy from Byron or whatever who had just been there finally raised his hand and said, all right, enough. Enough with the stories. There's no way any of this crap's true. Oh, yeah. No, I, no, I no. Think I, I think I think I bet him a bottle of tequila, took him to the team room and showed him a video of this bird bashing me over and over flying over other skydivers in the drop zone to get to me to smash into my camera helmet for whatever reason it hated the color of that camera helmet and that shut him up yeah oh no but no I've, i I've, i can I've been, I, I've been at the playing field when someone's telling the story about yeah ask matthews about his his uh his um branding 
And they're like, oh, that's a, no one would ever do that. And okay, well, drop trial. Yeah, of yeah, course. See, you. See those big wide marks right there. That's yeah, oh, that's what happens when you. Oh my god. We ended up doing it again. Of course you with did with the Aussies. Of course you did. We did it with Brad. This time I put my t-shirt down. Yeah, it was probably a better idea. Now, before we, <laughs> before, before, <laughs> you get me to publish it because it's amazing. Before we go if to anybody out there who's going to go skydiving, do not climb up your airport speaking because there are. This is one of probably fifty stories that should have gotten me kicked out of the best place to live on a drop zone. Oh man, I don't know how many times I had already packed in my head thinking I'm gone. I'll tell you, well, we're uh, gonna we're gonna I'm gonna get you onto the the story that you have to recall um for me, for everybody, because it's the story that uh turned out to be one of my most popular articles yet. Uh and there are actually quite a few people who have questioned me that don't believe that this story actually happened, don't believe any of the lead up to it. They think I just made it all up with this, I guess amazing creativity I'm supposed to have. And I try and tell them, no, if you knew the guy I get this story from, you wouldn't doubt it for a second. So, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, no, without any further ado, I, so yeah. So, so, uh, Mike decides to take his Humvee down the runway, flip it and eject some people and and cripple himself mm. and that that was just a terrible thing for people to to have gone through and and the range of injuries from everyone who had piled into that humvee was you know brownlow got ejected practically standing and some others you know cuz and i think they were competing pretty quickly soon after that and so a couple of guys got hurt his girlfriend was the second worst injured and then of course my kid had uh, had severely broken his neck. And so, so that happened. And then, um, um, AV on a fluke, they took Pete on a, uh, on a, uh, a base jump. And it was funny because the week, week before that AV had jumped boards bar dam and, uh, he had, he had apparently for whatever reason, gotten caught. They had actually caught his ground crew and he came walking up. Now I know Bullard's Bar Dam because I grew up in that area and I had worked at Bullard's Bar Dam. So I got his rig back from impound from the sheriff and he was leaving the country. So, you know, and AV's a tough guy to get to know. If anybody ever met Abner Tesori, he, you have to understand this guy was, you know, Israeli military, difficult gentleman to get to know. And, and Pete was a was a was a relatively new, at least in my mind, base jumper, and he had just gotten his his rigging ticket, and so he he would he was really doing well, and and so he was starting to fit in better, and and people and earn a lot more respect. And the only issue he had was he had this swooping deficit where he was still trying to iron out canopy flying. Okay. And so I get the I get the tandem rig or I get the the base rig back for AV. He said he's told his sister I'm coming home next week. I'm not making a, a base jump. They decide last minute to go out on a moonless night to the to the uh, um, it was Auburn the bridge. bridge, Auburn Bridge. Yeah. They switch positions, put Pete in the middle for some reason, and AV had by then, at least in my mind, had gotten a reputation for going low. And, and really enjoying that low. And I think you've talked to a couple of other people on the podcast that have talked about, I think the one, the gentleman that the most, one of your most inspiring podcasts was a gentleman that was in the wheelchair. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, 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 I got so angry when I listened to that episode and then I cried choking up right now. That pissed me off mm. that AV took his life after 
after hearing him overcome that. Sure. So, so they swap positions on the bridge and AVs to the side. If anybody's jumped off Auburn, you know that if you're too close to the side, you're, you're, you're not, you're not exactly aware that you're not, the, the bottom has just drastically come up to the bridge. I guess it's more of a gorge. Yeah. So AV takes it low. Canopy snivels just a little bit on his opening and he hits under line stretch mm. and they can't find him. And then, yeah, no, he absolutely, I was in the, in the hospital first, uh, one of the first people to get in the room with him and he grabbed me and was like, didn't want anybody to see him like that. Sure. And first time I'd ever seen him on any kind of painkillers. And he said, I, 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 two things, I don't want my girlfriend or anyone to see me like this. And he said, if they can't fix this, um, I, I, you, I won't, I'll take my life and you'll know why. I just want you to know. And he kind of shook me when he said it. And I, it shook me up. Sure. I could see it in his eyes. And I remember thinking, everyone says that, right? I mean, come on. If he just, Jesus, so we have so we have so much, you have like a surgery coming up, another one, and we're going to send you back to Israel. And I had to extend his visa mm. because he was supposed to leave that Wednesday. So it was a traumatic. And so we all end up back at the drop zone and Pete Bonzer feels terrible. Marcus is feeling terrible because right. they're both on that on that jump. Sure. They had gone through the traumatic experience of trying to do we all bail to get the hell out of here or do we go find our friend? Sure. And so we get completely smashed and came up with that pact. So and, it's and, 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 then, and to, to just for those that haven't read the article, so uh, this was all uh, over a very short period of time. You had the the car accident on the drop zone that uh, um, left one person paralyzed. Um, and a bunch of other people injured cut to the base jump, which you're doing kind of to let off steam. Cause everybody's still upset over this car accident and, and all this stuff and, and still figuring it all out. And now your friend AV is now busted up and potentially now also, uh, paralyzed. And now you and two other guys are commiserating back home, getting shitty ass drunk, talking about those events. Yeah. Right. And this is, and you have to, you have to, you have to back up a little bit. This, this was every night when I got home, I would cruise the double wide on the golf cart and cruise down to the airport to see if I could strike a conversation up. If the bonfire was going, if if there was a light in someone's tent, if there was a trailer I hadn't seen, I'd go down and and say hello. And if they needed booze or food, invite them down to the double wide. And, but always could count on either Marcus or Pete or somebody being down there. Right. So and it was usually around our team room. So we're, we're huddling up at the team room and, 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 you know, we were shedding tears. We were, we were shook, shaken up over Mike, we're shaken up over AV and, you know, Marcus and AV were close. I had just become very, very close with AV. And then Pete, Marcus had taken Pete under his wing to kind of get him over the hump of the, the get along with everybody. Cause Pete had a way of, of rubbing some people wrong and some people loved him. And, and so, and, the, and him getting his rigor ticket was a lot of push by, by, by Marcus and others. And so, but then we got really, really drunk and this, and this, this conversation comes up where you start talking about what would you do if it happened to you? Mm. And around that time, you know, we find out that it, it is permanent for AV and um, it's going to be permanent for Mike and then we find out his girlfriend's suicidal and we find out the impact this is having on all these people. And that's when the conversation turned to, okay, well, if it happens to one of us, here's what we're going to do. And that's where we came up with the idea of we're going to pull the plug. And so you'll find a, an opportunity to, to let everyone get their, in, get, get in their goodbyes and, and make sure there is no fix. Jim, you're in charge of making sure there is no medical possible cur- Cor- you know, correction for this. You're good at that kind of shit. Marcus, you'll figure out, you know, how to, I don't know, kill the power to the hospital if you have to. 
And, and so, and, but then the conversation just kept going and going and going and Pete takes everything a little bit too far. And so pretty soon we all, all but took a knife and cut our hands and, and, you know, like in the movies, blood oath. Right. And so then you... Pete kept, Pete kept saying, you know, look me in the eyes and tell me this is real. Tell me this is real. And finally almost Marcus had to say, okay, this is the moment where you, you, you put, put it back. Yes, we get it. You know, we get it. We will, if it happens to any of us, that's the pact. So, so you've made the pact that if any one of you fucks yourself up irreversibly, the other two are going to pull the plug. Is, is, is blood bound <laughs> to, to assess the medical situation, let all the families have said their goodbyes, find a private moment, and end that person's misery. This is on a Saturday night, okay? Fast forward seven days, we're standing in a room with Pete, not just crippled, but unable to communicate. He's got a break so high up in his neck that um, he's lucky to even be alive. So this isn't something that we talked about six months ago. This isn't something that we had, had in the back of our minds. This was something that Marcus and I had talked about a couple of days later. Funny. I can't believe Pete took it so far. Right. Pete reminded us on, on like that Thursday, don't you fuckers forget. And we're like, okay, whatever. And then I'm in Santa Cruz and it was weird. Every time someone gets hurt in our sport, I get a sick feeling. I know this is going to sound stupid, but I'm in Santa Cruz with my family and I had earplugs in because I went to bed early that night and I had my phone on silent and I, for whatever reason, cracked my eyes open and I saw the light of my phone and my heart sunk. Cause every time I seemed to leave the drop zone, I would get a call saying something went wrong or something was busted or somebody was broken. Sure. So I saw that light and it was Ryan Arnold on the other end. So I knew it wasn't him. And then you, you think your teammates and then you kind of think, and I know this sounds terrible, which you just kind of prioritize in your head, please, 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 please. Sure. And you're hoping it's somebody from some drop zone somewhere that you you've heard of. And he says, you got to come home right now. Bonzers, you know, he might not make it tonight. And so I didn't even pack. I just walked down to my car. I think about halfway to my car, I realized I need keys and tennis shoes. And I drove back from Santa Cruz to a, a, a double wide full of people grieving. Sure. And so, Pete, if you ever hear this, you, you have no idea the impact that had on people. I mean, you, you, you have to imagine people that you didn't even know, people that were just there for the weekend for the first time are all just crushed because apparently the people that had seen it, the people that didn't expect it, the way it all happened, it really shook everyone up. And it was the really first on-site skydiving accident they'd had in a while. And it was traumatic. Sure. And so, uh, you know, the pack's the furthest thing from any, you know, this, this, pack between Marcus and I and everything's the furthest thing from our minds. Sure. So we, we set up vigil in the parking lot and for about a week, you know, it seemed like a week, maybe it was less than that. My job was figuring out medical care. Right. And Lisa, Lisa Larkin's job once again, like with AV was figuring out how to get his family here. Right. Marcus, I think had been pulled, pulled aside by the grandfather who shook him up and said something to the fact like you should have left him for dead. You, look at him now. Right. So that sparks in Marcus's mind. He's crushed. I've never seen Marcus tear up, but now I'm seeing him tear up for like the second time. Sure. And and so, and so he's just a mess. You know, he does that. You know, you know, just Matthews. Well, you know. And so, so we finally find ourselves after three or four days of going in one at a time and little by little, he's finally stable enough to kind of see us. And I remember the two of us ended in going in after a, a good four or five hours of shots and drinking and partying in the parking lot, right. all in Pete's, all in, 
all in support of Pete. Of course. Pete, that was all for you. And then we walk in the room. He, he, he closes that curtain. That's when I first thought, what's he doing? What's he doing? Yeah. And then that's when it hit me. Are we going to have that talk? No. And then the nurse popped her head in because, you know, we're in ICU and, and she pops her head in to say, is everything okay? And, uh, <laughs> dude, Marcus turned to me and, and I knew that look immediately. And we're hammered. Like you said in your article, <laughs> that nurse, how she did not know we weren't. I mean, the, you could have lit a match in that room <laughs> with all the oxygen and everything else. And so the next thing you know, we're, we're staring over Pete. He looks at me with those eyes like, oh, hey, buddy. And looks over at Marcus. Oh, fucking dudes. That's so good. Yeah, oh, it's my, it's you guys. And then right. all of a sudden, the, 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 the eyes started di- darting back and forth. Because he's and thinking went, the same fucking thing thinking, you are. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my. Did, did, the Reapers are here, you know? <laughs> And, and he doesn't even really have time to react because Marcus is already, is it like TV? Where's the damn plug in this thing? Look at all this shit. Yeah, Matthews, you know more about this stuff than me. Is there a plug or a button or a, you know, and, and I'm looking at Pete. Pete's, he, like you said in the article, those eyes were so damn wide. <laughs> I mean, he's probably thinking, if they look away, I might get a chance to just wet my eyes for a second. But if I, if I get it wrong... And then we, we're even screwing up the, the, the signals. Is it once for, wait, Marcus, stop talking. Is it once for yes or two for no? Mark? Okay, Jim, you ask him. Wait a minute, Marcus, Marcus, just shut, shut up, Jim. Just go figure out how to shut it off. And so this is, you know, this whole thing's going back and forth. And we didn't get to really hear the full effect of the story until, you know, to, to much to, this is another time I, I probably got dumped by a girlfriend. Oh, wait, you're, you're, but, you're killing people. Did you pull the plug? No. <laughs> no we, couldn't, we couldn't find it. So, so. (laughs) we couldn't find the damn plug, Pete. So, I don't, because the plan, I think if we'd have found it, I don't think we'd have pulled it. You don't sound so sure. Marcus Marcus was getting pissed. Where's this goddamn plug? Matthews, you know this shit. Come here. Is this one the green one or the, I mean, (laughs) can you imagine laying there, not being able to move or communicate? No. And. And, and, and you can't, I, I, at the time he had this, this means of blowing for the nurse. And he told me he was trying to get his lips out to reach that goddamn blow tube. If he could blow the tube to get the nurse in here, this might at least slow down the inevitable. <laughs> and that's when he said, I just finally just took a deep breath and relaxed and thought, oh, it was my idea, you know, but to have him tell the story, you know, cause we, we started doing these fundraisers and, I took a knee next to his chair and we started, to, we all knew what we were all thinking and we all started laughing. So Marcus has taken a knee on one side. He's shown us how we can move his finger a little bit. I start laughing. He starts laughing. Pete starts laughing. He goes, you fucker. <laughs> and, and then he tells the story from his perspective. Oh my and God. It was so much better than your story, my story, all the stories, because he had to go through all the emotions of, of what that must have been like. These two imagine? fuckers are about to kill me. <laughs> and and all the two people that would do it, these are the two. Marcus will make Jim do it. And I guarantee and he Jim could will do it. And he could smell the Jim booze on you. 
Oh, for, he told us later it was disgusting. It was, <laughs> but, but at the same time, he was like, I almost wanted to drink too. But he's like, and I, I know Marcus will make Jim do it, and Jim's going to figure out how to do it. And then he'll do it because he respects Marcus that much. He'll just do it because Marcus said to. And he's telling the story. And then we realize his brothers and his extended family are all standing around listening to this. And you can see some of them are just not amused. I mean, well, and we're dying laughing. And it's only something that skydivers can understand. Yeah, no, no. It's uh, You know, I'll tell you what. Uh, um, I've had a few people that aren't jumpers that don't find any humor in that story at all any any of these stories yes yeah, yeah none of them whatsoever they just don't find any humor in that story and it, i made myself laugh maybe about two or three weeks ago uh sitting on the couch um just randomly flipping through it was either netflix or hbo and and decided to push play on that dicaprio movie the revenant and in the revenant after he gets attacked by the bear uh he's got the one guy that just wants to fucking get out of there but he's promised to take care of him until he dies and he's just telling him all you got to do is blink all you got to do is blink and it's over and all i could think about was you and marcus drunk standing over this poor guy's hospital bed well i saw that movie with my daughter and 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 that scene i wanted to push pause at the movie theater, because my, my, my daughter and I have become really, really close since I quit skydiving. I thought we were, I, we've always been super duper close, but I didn't realize that they had built this this protection mechanism in that, that you know, something's going to happen because something's happened to everybody he knows. So something's and he keeps getting close. He's had five. I know, it's a lot, he's, you know, he's, he keeps having these close calls, but he keeps running right back to it. So so they, they had they there was this and I didn't realize they had done it. And for those that want to get into the sport, this is something to grapple with, too. You're going to need to overcome that because you, your love of the sport is going to be stronger than than at some point um, your family telling you what what and how horrible of a person you are. I mean, you, you'll go through the all the all of it if you really, really want to get into it. But if you if the common thread is you need to just calm them down and tell them how safe it is. But I think you had one of your, your podcast guys on that was saying it's not that safe, but it's safe enough. And it, it I, when people ask me about tandems, I tell them we've, we've ironed it out. Yeah. If it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And, and unfortunately some stuff has gone horribly wrong and, and, and then we learn, right. Yeah. But like you said, you can get in your car and there's, there's so many more variables that could go yeah, wrong. Yeah. Well, but, you know, but yeah, during, during that scene in that movie, I wanted to turn to her and share that story. <laughs> And then after the movie was over, I wanted to share the story and realized I can't. No, 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 no. Because no. all it'll do is just make her look at me like, you're not, you, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, every skydiver at some point has got to cross that bridge um, where they decide, is this me? Am I going to keep doing this? Sometimes it's an injury to themselves. Uh, sometimes it's an injury to another person. Sometimes it's a fatality. Um I, I've had quite a few reality checks in my time in the sport, but there's that one and only time you've got to walk across that bridge, the fuck, I'm in this for the long haul. Uh, this, is, this is who I am now, regardless of what happens around. And I tried to explain that to another non-jumper friend of mine uh, who was like, man, you know, I'm glad you're just flying and everything, but, you know, you keep losing friends and, and uh, uh, you know, you should just get out of it. My response was, I'm going to lose friends for the rest of my life. I, my entire social circle, everybody that I know, everybody that I'm truly close with, 
is in some way involved in skydiving. I will continue to lose people whether I'm in the sport or not. So I'd rather be in it with all these amazing people. And it's a little well, bit every different. Time I, every, every time I see an Instagram photo of you, like you, and you said, you know, every, you, you, it's, it's you're you're only seeing the best. Every, everybody has their highs, their lows, their angers. I've seen you so angry, you're going to kill a packer. I, I've I've seen the highs and the lows. I love the fact that I can live vicariously through your Instagram page or your or your web page or these stories. But I've seen you struggle with it. I've seen you struggle with a lot of things in skydiving. But but um, again, I, do you I do you remember that that one summer that you spent living in a hangar and I think you got your W two or your ten ninety nine or something and you were furious because you in, in one sentence you're telling us about it was the best experience of your life because you got to build your aircraft your own aircraft from scratch. Which by the way, putting a PA system in an aircraft for you was probably. If I had to pick one thing Dean likes having most, I don't know if you have a PA now where you can say, okay, jumpers, here we go. I or, don't. or you, know, wait. you don't? I don't? Is it killing you? No. I'll, oh, is it- I'll tell you right now, every fucking pilot that I currently work with just started laughing their ass off because I've been bitching for PA systems for six fucking years. How could they not give you one? That's the best part of it. it, it <laughs> When you, it's better than the green light coming on, and some of the things you would say were hilarious. <laughs> of course, it was distracting as hell. I guess, yeah, for for a student, you don't want your student suddenly going, "What did you say?" Or, but it, it, yeah, I mean, you lived for that mic switch, and that was also you picking up on every chick on everyone, every tandem master's lap, and every AFF student. Was like, I mean, geez, I can't tell you how many phone numbers you got from the girl leaning over me to tell you her phone number <laughs> when I'm trying to gear her up. It was fascinating to me, but um. <laughs> But but yeah, you you remember the year you you got your ten ninety nine your W two and you were you were furious at the low dollar amount, but in the same breath telling me it was the best year of your life. Yeah, well, it's and 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 and, and, I, and you were like, I'm gonna sit my my boss down and tell him this is unacceptable. God damn, that airplane's freaking cool, man. We built that thing. I was there for the motor and all, but still. But still. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that year very well. Well, that's kind of the catch-22 in it all, though, right? I mean, um, you, when you decide you're going to go be a, a skydiver or, you know, a skydiver slash jump pilot or whatever, you kind of just naturally assume, all right, financially, I'm just going to take it in the ass. Um, it, but it's more for the lifestyle. Well, it still doesn't make that paycheck any less painful when it shows up and you go, oh, fuck me, man. I was really hoping something might change. But clearly I loved it because I kept right on doing it. You know, nothing has changed on that end. Absolutely nothing. And that's and that's why I tipped. I mean, you know, I walked into Paris Valley for the first time on our very first practice session with Pat McGowan, and uh, you know, I I only had the 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 two rigs. I'm not the best packer in the world because I've always paid for my pack jobs. And I walked into the packing area and said, "I need a packer," and nobody's head looked up. You know, no one knows who I am. And I said, I usually tip 10, 15 bucks. And before I could finish the sentence per pack job, this girl's head lifted up and popped up her hand. And I said, per, per pack. And then she stopped what she was doing and came running over. And then I could never go near the drop zone without, she would find me. I mean, I might not be there for two years and I'd show up at Paris and, and, and boom, she's in my face. I'm your packer, right? I'm your packer. Oh yeah. Cause she's going to make 150 bucks a day or more. And I'm going to tip her at the end of the day. 
And then people would pull you aside at lunchtime. So, hey, you know, if, if she gets busy, you know, I can I can sub in or maybe tomorrow you can kick some pack jobs my way. Or so I was. And, and again, that's like the, the story that you and I were talking about earlier, where, where you could not figure out who was packing your parachute, giving you those horrible openings. I never had that problem because I was stuffing $20 bills in the risers where no one can see them. And they were fighting over my tandem rigs to pack. So I was getting the best packer in 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 the hangar. Well, you are by far uh, the biggest exception to the general rule in skydiving because I always viewed you as a full time skydiver that did other stuff I knew nothing about. I mean, I knew you had a job and I knew it was a successful job, but it was just Jim the skydiver. You know, Jim the tandem right. instructor. Jim's going to go out and shoot videos. Jim's going to do a hot and pop. Jim's always jumping and Jim lives on the drop zone, but. I didn't think of you as the six-figure guy. There's no fucking six-figure year skydivers out there. It just doesn't. Not that are oh. full-time jumpers, but you were. Uh, and you. Oh, I remember we were we were sitting at, at, at Denny's with Maris from uh, Lodi Byron and uh, I, I, Maris. That's I don't really I, I do know her real name. We called her Maris. You know Maris from Frasier. The, yeah, the, yeah, the sitcom yeah. Fraser. So Maris is the fictitious wife. We nicknamed everybody, and and her nickname was Maris. And she was sitting in for Wiz. Wiz couldn't come down with us, and so she's jumping for us. And she starts talking to me and, and asking me about me. And then and then I said something like, uh, she's asked me, you know, where do you live? Because Colin lives in the Bay Area, and Dawson lives in Roseville. And I said, oh, I live at the double at the double wide. What? Well, I live at the drop zone. And she said something to me like. Oh, my opinion of you has just completely changed. And I <laughs> said, well, you know, Maris, you have to understand. And she had no idea what, why we called her Maris anyway. And we all just busted up. But, but when people would find out that, you know, uh, my job was flexible, I could work from home. The reason I always had a computer set up was because I was always programming or I was always writing. I mean, f just so people know what, what I basically, what my job was, was like creating for, well, a good analogy for you was I, if you were a pilot and you glass screens were just coming out for, for cockpits, I was the guy that you told, I need this gauge here. I need this gauge here. There's an awesome documentary about the new Gulfstream coming out. It's all touchscreen. There's no pushable buttons on mm. there and, and, and how the R&D went into all of that. And that's what I would, that's what I did. I created touchscreens and computers and ways for guys to sit in front of a computer and visualize and automate and collect data and, and, and automate a process, whether it be bottling beer to pulp and paper to uh, oil and gas to drilling to anything that that packaging, um, and and then when when you have that access to all that da data, you need to know a little bit about all the stuff you're talking to, and that's what I did for Rockwell. Sure, and so you did all this stuff, um, but you had this second fucking badass. Life. And no one wanted to hear about any of that crap, so I never talked about it. So no one really understood how does this – is he a trust fund baby or how does he always seem to – it was funny. I remember after being in the double wide like three or four years, Ryan came up with a plan. Like he called me on the way home and, and my typical MO was on a Thursday, tried to get Friday off. I couldn't get Friday off on a Friday, go to the store, call Ryan. What do we need? We had a code, you know, basically – full, full bar, whatever. And so I'd spend 300, 400 bucks on booze. And that was, you know, just to make sure I got enough booze because <laughs> everyone knew that the double wide was packed full of, full of liquor. And so he said, Hey, this time we're going to, we're doing a little experiment. I don't know how the idea got started, but we're going to see who actually comes in the double wide, sees no booze and goes to town and buys someone comes back or just disappears. And I thought, brilliant. 
And then I remember thinking, why? Who gives a shit? Okay, well, whatever. It was funny. Oh, I'll bet it was. The people that would walk in and say, hey, what's going on? Hey, you mind if I grab a beer? Sure. I, you have to, I don't know what's in there. And they'd open the fridge, long pause, come out. Well, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to head down to the drop zone and I'll, uh, you guys, I'll see you in a little bit, you know? And then others would, would like, you don't have any beer. Oh shit, I'll be right back. And then they'd come back with two 12 packs or, and it was a shitty thing to do to everybody, but. Oh, hell no. I think funny. it's fucking funny it, as hell. It was And funny. it would be exactly it, something that Ryan would think of. Oh. You know what my, well, our first, our, my greatest memory of Ryan took place in the double wide. And it's every time I think of Ryan, besides the fact that he's got this infectious smile, um, was oh, dude, one particular the most time. Incredible. Incredible roommate I've ever oh, had. Oh, no doubt. But you'll remember this as well, because I and an entire room full of people in the double wide wanted to strangle him to death. Only once. We're all really? sitting in the double wide because you guys had the, the uh, dish for satellite. And right. we're watching the final episode of The Sopranos. Right. Everyone right, right. at the drop zone is a huge <laughs> Sopranos fan. We have all piled into the double wide to see what they're going to do to Tony. Is Tony going to prison? Is Tony going to die? And it's this huge build up to the end of it. And at the end, of course, the screen goes black. Nobody has any idea what's going on. It's dead fucking silence in the room for at least a good solid three seconds. And then it dawns on everybody. They're fucking ending it. And all I can hear is Ryan Arnold laughing his ass off. <laughs> That's to him the funniest damn thing. That's just his sense of humor. Oh, my God. Oh, and I get it, but we were all horrified. Everybody is screaming, no, and having this huge fit and waiting. We're just watching as the credits are rolling, and he is just laughing. And that and that chuckle where he kind of kicks his head side to side. Oh, yeah. Kinda... Oh, it was fucking amazing. That's, that's the... <laughs> he was enjoying the fact that all of you guys were so let down. Oh, yeah. He probably gave two shits about the ending, but to him, that was... Oh, he didn't give <laughs> a fuck show. about the show. I think he would even said he wasn't a particular <laughs> Sopranos fan. He just watched it because he wanted to see everything end. Oh yeah. my God! Yeah, we we were so close as roommates. We would the 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 arrangement. Remember, we moved in not knowing each other that well at all. I mean, all he knew was I was the idiot that always tried to get on the manifest before I had a rig packed or I had my shit together. Or I mean, he, he, he I credit a lot of my etiquette at this at the drop zone to him, saying, "All right, don't knock on the window until you're packed. You've got a rig. You're in all of your gear. You know what? Come to the window geared up." next time right all right what's what's your name again okay guy i i just next time i see you i want to see you with i'll I'll give you a gear check and this went on for a while you know so but then as 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 we became close as roommates we also became very distant as roommates we could go three four days without talking and i just you know because we we knew we had our personal space because we that place was small I was in, I had the master bedroom with my own bath and, and, and he had his side of the house. And then we had that common space, which we, we, you know, I wouldn't let anybody stay without talking to him. He wouldn't let anybody stay without talking to sure. me. We had the people we knew that we could say yes, because we knew that other people wouldn't, other, one other one wouldn't care. Well, and then you'd have the amazing uh, double wide nights with like the rock band where we'd all fucking sit around and get hammered drunk and play a rock band. All the fun stuff you'd oh, do. Dude, if those walls could talk the thin walls. And then we had some amazing roommates. Oh we yeah. Billy moved oh, well, first. Then we. We had Pete Galley for a little while. Then we had uh, you had we me had, for uh, about a month. We had you. We had Charlie Brown whenever he was in town. Oh yeah, had, oh the uh, cast of characters that we, uh-huh. that came through that place and the stories that came through Kieran. that place. There's actually uh, there's three other fucking stories that we got to hit on 
three that I have okay. to have. All right, so the three stories, and there's three three fucking amazing stories uh, in no particular order. Um, I forget what his name was. He was the s- think of the people right now thinking, "Oh God, please don't be right, me." Please right, don't be right. me. Oh, there's a few of them. So it, he was the son of um, a father and son pair come out to learn how to skydive in uh, Davis. That were <laughs> see, you already know where we're going. So. <laughs> They were, what's a nice way to put it? They were very country. I have thought about this. If you were to ask this, how would I describe the father's just the father? I mean, they owned a refrigeration business. Yeah. The father's just dad smoked way too many cigarettes, wrinkly old skin. Yep. You go for the description of the son and then I'll see if I can figure I out a way to fill that. in. I don't even know if I can. I, I, I'm not sure. Remember, I jumped with him. I did his. I stamped his alias. Yeah. So I I know what the guy smells like, right? So I I know this guy. Well. Oh yeah, no, he he was he was. Uh, um, I'm trying to be nice about it. He was definitely a California cowboy. Uh, redneck is probably the way to put it. He was country, um, hardworking, fun loving, and he was a complete moron. Okay, so <laughs> so not. Not country in the sense of Stetson, no. um, stiff collared, colorful shirt. We're talking cowboy with steel-toed black boots that had that cowboy tongue. Um, yep. Massive belt buckle, but it wasn't a rodeo belt buckle that said Mack truck, or it might say Peterbilt. Jeans looked like they'd never been washed, but um, some kind of a of a baseball cap with the, the 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 cap was set too wide because of the big mop ahead of hair that he had that looked like it had never been washed on his head smashed all into that and when i geared him up that hat he said had to stay on so imagine the helmet goes on over the hat yeah, right yeah. and then um or flannel shirt dead of summer yep. with a t-shirt underneath and then He's got a leather vest sometimes. Sometimes he'd have a uh, a jean vest. Yep, that's that's um, pretty much how I remember him. So so kind of cowboy farmer emo slash I don't know how to describe right. it, but I just I just remember thinking, is there enough tape in this in, to to try to tape up all of his boots? And he always had these weird. Well, he had big all the hooks and, and stuff on the boots and all that, and but somehow this guy and his dad come out and to learn how to jump, and he manages to get through his AFF. And, uh, all, all, yeah. So he does everything with you. He gets himself licensed and ends up joining in one evening at the bonfire. Um, and everybody's been drinking, everybody's shooting the shit and having fun. And somehow the conversation about what to do with malfunctions and such got brought up. And that's as, that's as I'm walking to the, just back up a little yeah, bit, please. There was a lot of discussion on whether to stamp this guy's a license. He, he, he was absolutely incorrigible and un, un, um, you, you couldn't spend much time with this guy, but he always brought tons of booze, never in a cooler. It was always in like a big bucket or, or a big blue tote or something full of ice and, and beer that he thought we liked, but he was a Budweiser guy and he made you know it. He had these crazy ideas and crazy stories. He was he was the he was the guy that everyone you always sort of sort of found him by himself wandering to the group that was wandering away from him. <laughs> right. And so when it came to stamp his A license, he'd done it all right. Nobody was gonna stamp it. 
and it became incumbent upon me to make the decision. And so I conferred with all the Zen masters and everyone else. And it was, it was Milan that finally said, has he done this? Has he done this? Has he done this? Well, what, what are you waiting for? And I just said, I don't know. How do I teach him the, the other part? What's the other part? Uh, the etiquette, the, the getting along. I mean, this isn't, if I stamp this guy's license, this guy is now, I just gave him a license to bonfire and hang and, and you know, this, yep. and I really struggled. I struggled with this because now I kind of want to take him under my, my belt, like, or take him under my wing. Like, uh, like, um, how do I get him to, to shed some of that, that unnecessary gear when he gets his, his jumpsuit. So you don't, you don't need to put a jumpsuit on over your entire, right. you know, pers- persona, I guess you'd call it. You don't need to wear your hat under your helmet. So I, we stamp it the day I stamp it. Right. And then I have to go do a pitch, a couple drugs and do some team stuff. And I walk up to the bonfire with my student who freshly stamped. Yep. And then you take it. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm just leading you into the story. So all I know is that the the conversation came around to to malfunctions, and he had some rather well, it, unique opinions on what to do if he had a mal. Well, when you walked up to the bonfire, and you see a guy like that surrounded by Team Jank and and Guano and and uh, some other AFF guys and some really really unapproachable high end skydivers. I mean swoopers and stuff. You think. He's either telling the most interesting story or they're trying to get him to jump in the fire or they're trying to get him to go get in his truck and try to jump the, the, the runway. I mean, you know what I mean? Right. To, to see someone like that surrounded by that kind of talent. Sure. And as I'm walking to the bonfire, it may have been you that looked at me with that grin. <laughs> like you got to hear this. <laughs> so I, I walk over it, but I also noticed some students and he's, he's, well, if I remember correctly, he was saying he was going to, he no longer was going to jump with an RSL or a ADD yep. and that he didn't want to pay for pack, didn't want to pay for repacks. So he was going to, his solution to that was to, to just take his belt off in free fall and la- in free fall. If his main didn't open up, cut it away and then lasso High voltage wire. Yes, yes. Am I getting that yeah, right? Yeah, so his, okay. his plan was if he was having a malfunction, he didn't want to have to pay for repacks, so he would cut away, um, right. remove his belt in free fall, track to, track, track track, to yes. the nearest power lines, and then lasso, and lasso the power lines with the belt. And the reason he had all this talent around him was because they were saying, well, what happens if your ADD goes off? Well, I'll have had that removed. Well, what what about your RSL? Oh, I I'll have that removed. You you wouldn't just disconnect it? No, no, no. I just I don't I don't need that. Okay, but you, the the low power lines. What if they snap? Oh, I then, uh, then I guess you're right. Good point. I I'd go for the bigger power lines. You know, the big high voltage ones. Well, they're like forty feet off the ground. Well, yeah. Then I just let go and PLF. I mean, from forty feet. You don't think I can do it? No, we don't think you can do it. And that's when I said, okay, guys. Hey, hey, guys. Um. There's some students around here. I think I pulled, I don't remember who I pulled aside and I said, hey, could we, th- this is funny, but we've got some students listening in who don't even know what RSLs are yet and ditters and, 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 and come, okay, right. jokes. So I pull him aside and, I, and he's, he's tuned up. I hadn't really seen him this drunk. And uh, he says, I got an A license. I know you're my instructor, but I have an A license. I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep. 
Yes, yeah, yep, yeah, yes, you do. But not for long, buddy. And that's what I thought at the time. But anyway, so so yeah, so he starts to tell me the story, and I start to explain to him, hey, look, here, here here's a here's a teachable moment. There's some students around, and 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 um, hey, hey where, where 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 are you going? What, you don't think I can do it? You don't think I can do it? And he goes right for the hangar. And I remember some people started to say, go, 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 whatever. I turn around and look at everybody and they are like, oh, 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 shut up, shut up. Matthew's going to get pissed. He's going right for the hangar. And at the time, you had to know how to get on top of the hangar. Yeah. There's only one way to do it. And and he went to the wrong side. And so he's trying to climb up like the little, little, little side where there's nothing there. And he's hopping and trying to get his boots onto the bolts. And for those and, that don't, don't know this hangar, it's a Quonset hut. So it's one of these half circles. Quonset hut. Right. And he's got it. He's, and so I start to think eh, he, he can't, he's harmless. He can't get on the damn thing. And I see him standing on the golf cart, trying to jump and he, and he slides back down and, and he starts, tries stacking some stuff up and he can't do it. And then he disappears. And I just kind of forget about it. And little by little things are, people are kind of thinning out. And then I, I don't remember who was left, but we're throwing some more wood on the bonfire. It starts to rain. It was drizzling. So that thinned out the herd a little bit further. And then I heard, Hey, Look, or hey, check it out. And as I glanced to where I'd seen him last, he wasn't there. But I saw a body go through my field of vision. I mean, so I'm looking eye level at the hangar, and I see this figure go by. And he jumped. What What, do you, what would you say that is? 30 feet? Yeah, 25, 30 feet. 25, 30 feet. Straight body in a pike position. So if he'd hit the water, it would have been perfect. I remember just that, and then my 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 instincts slow down, and I I reach for him right like like somehow that's gonna whatever. I remember the the smash of the beer that fell out of my right hand, the sound of who was whoever was standing next to me blew beer out of their nose. <laughs> Some people behind me in slow motion, you heard this, what or whoa, and then the sound that it made when he hit because <laughs> right where he hit is is gravel yeah but there's like this lawn area but that he hit he hit the gravel yeah. and it and it was a puddle so, that, so there was a splash and then because he had hit straight like that it it shot him back up in the air a good four feet <laughs> and and then it, the, it blew all of the air out of him so he made this disgusting <laughs> sound and he bounced straight back up in the air and kind of landed on the side. And we ran over, and I'm trying to hold him down. And he's making this just horrid sound, gurgling sound, which I've heard before. So there's some internal injuries. And his legs are just bent. Noodle. Yeah. 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 And I'm once again in that position of, oh, well, I could probably get most of my stuff out of the double wide tonight. And then I think Ray will let me come back and get the rest of it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm kick, I'm I'm kicked out. Yeah, this is this is definitely going to get me kicked off the drop zone, and he starts to, you know, I, I'm yelling nine one one to. I want to say I had I I want to say it was Brett. I can't remember who was with me, but I'm yelling nine one one. Call nine one one right now. And I'm trying to hold him down, and he's he starts saying no no no. I refuse care. I'd never heard that term before. Right. And then whoever I was with said, well, if he says that, we don't have to call nine one one. And then people just scattered. Right, everyone came over to see if there was anything really good to see. And then scatter. You've never seen anybody disappear from a drop zone. Not even the bonfire was empty. Right. Nobody wanted to be associated with this, what just happened. And then he gets up on all fours and crawls to his car. And somehow, and as he's crawling, 
I can see that one leg is not quite following along the, the straight or isn't. And, and then I can see that one leg's longer than the other, which means that, that it's gone inside of itself. So I can see that one, it's, 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 it's bad. pretty significant injuries. He's coughing and gasping for air. So I'm getting ready to do CPR. And I, I had the peace of mind to reach in his pocket and get his keys. And then I handed the keys like an idiot to whoever was with me. And he convinced them that he was just going to sit in his truck but it was cold and he was going to run the engine as I'm walking away from the car after convincing him, sleep in your car. I'm going to check on you in 20 minutes. Look at me. Sweet. Promise me. I hear the car start up. Heater comes on. The other guy comes walking over and I can't remember who it was. He says, he'll be okay. And then all of a sudden you hear the car gun it. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but he gunned it right into that, that the field straight away from the back of manifest. Right. And the car just sunk in the mud. So now he's stuck in the mud. <laughs> so not only is Ray going to come to work the next day and find a guy crippled dead or crippled in his car, but the car is now up to axles in mud right out in front of Manifest. So not only, so now we gotta... not only does he not PLF off the top of the hangar, but then when he does manage to get in his car, he basically crashes it. So I, I, so he gets, we find him, he's getting out of his car and he's, he's underneath his car trying to dig the mud out from around his tires, <laughs> coughing and gasping. This goes on for a while. So I go get my car. I pull his car out. As soon as I get it onto the road, we lose track of where he is. <laughs> he hops in and he speeds away. No. And he's, and he actually, yep, he drives, he drives, uh, uh, south. He misses the turn. Ends up in the ditch, but somehow gets it back up on the road, overcorrects, just misses the other ditch, and disappears into the night. <laughs> and that was the last we saw him for about a week. His dad showed up the next day to ask, you know, what had happened. He ended up taking him to the hospital that night. He was in a wheelchair for a year. He came back, I want to say, two or three weeks later um, and showed up at Action Air asking how they could rig up his wheelchair. <sighs> With a parachute. Oh. I wasn't there for that. Oh, my God. Ray had me do like a full write-up of what had happened, and I never actually finished it. And then- Oh, yeah, because he was worried he was going to get sued, as I would have been. Holy shit. It, at some point, we realized the guy was too much of a of a, a oddball to sue anybody. Yeah. He just wanted to get back in the air. He kept coming back He uh, in his wheelchair and- it was it was tough, man. I I felt so bad for the well, guy. Now, I, I this is another one of those stories that only a skydiver or someone truly twisted would find that funny. But I'm practically in tears through part of that. A because the guy didn't die. But how many AFF instructors out there right now going? I can't wait to meet the idiot that gave this guy an A, a license. Well, just the whole. I'm gonna take my. I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. No, well, he never talked like that or acted like that during the during any of his No, jobs because if, any... if at any point during teaching emergency procedures to someone, they suggest that their belt would do a better job than their reserve, that's a pretty big fucking red flag. So, And he was dead serious. Yes, yes. Hence the jumping off the hangar, because I'm sure I can PLF yeah. from the, the pipe. <laughs> he, he, in, in one of those nights, he showed up at the drop zone when no one was around. He, he's, I saw him at the, at the... And he was banned for life for the drop oh yeah zone. he was he it wasn't a it wasn't a fight on site it was a get him off the drop zone on site his dad came back and finished up aff and i think maybe got his b license um and then kept lobbying for his son to come back but just to wrap it up he kept he came back a couple of times when when, when ray wasn't around really really got hurt that no what and couldn't understand why 
when he got better, he wasn't going to be allowed to jump. Oh, oh. I heard later he actually showed up upright, but in braces, <laughs> ready to go back through the course. <laughs> I mean, there's, you think my dedication, there's his dedication. Yeah, but that's a whole nother level. Oh, all right. So, so far, all the stories we've told have been pretty grim. <laughs> Funny, some of them, but. Well, well clear this up. How, how far into the suggesting of any of the shenanigans were you? Were you participating? No, or no, were you just no, no. I was just standing back watching that madness. The, no. I, okay, I, 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 I'm going to take your word for yeah. it because I. Upon your mood, I could see you. Oh, okay. So you know that might work, and then you could. Oh no, I think by then <laughs> you do have a little bit of a sense of humor, uh, Dean. Come I on. think by then I was, I would have been the first one to go. You're a fucking moron. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I had to walk up. Probably been the one that said, "Hey, there's students around here." And... Yeah, yeah. No, man. I, that one, that one, I played zero part in for sure. Now, the the other two stories I want to go into are. Nobody dies in these stories. There's no blood involved in these stories, but they're fucking funny. Um, you, one of them, um, and I'm sure you've got to remember this. You had a rather excited woman in in the airplane. You remember this one? Okay. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So this is the French orgasm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, so okay. I became a tandem master to be like you, dude. <laughs> You you were able to crush me. I mean, I, I think I told the story in the beginning before you and I started this. You know, you, I walked into the team room. You were gearing up the prettiest of the two girls, and we were screwing with you that day. Neil walked in and corrected the two students. You got the one that wasn't. I'm not going to say they were that one was uglier than the other, but you had clearly chosen your type, <laughs> and that wasn't the one you were on the board right. with. And so you were very put off with the fact that Suddenly you were being swapped and I got the really, really your type one. And, you know, you, 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 you had a quip for everything. And yours was that look like I'll have both their phone numbers before you can get her geared up. And, uh, and then yours, your new student who'd after you've given all your spiel to this other cute ones, you've already got her locked. You're doing it to the, to the new one. And she's nervous. And you said something like, look, I just want to let you know, you don't have to be nervous. I have like 5,000 jumps and plus I have plans tonight. So you might, you know, be of those plans, but I'm just telling you, I, I have plans tonight, so we're going to be fine. And then uh, she said, really, you have 5,000 jumps? Yeah. And then you looked over at me and, and looked at my student and said, you know, and, and he, <laughs> and I had to tell my student, I, I have 46 tandems. <laughs> Some ass and I looked at you like, prick. Yeah, well. So anyways, this, so, so you had, you had picked up on my student sitting on my lap from the pilot seat. You had gotten their phone number sitting next to me. <laughs> You'd gotten their phone numbers three in front of me, leaning back to just tell my student um, good luck at 6,500 feet. I'm thinking, what, Dean, pay attention to your own student. And she'd say, do you know him? Can you get, can you get his number? Yes, I can. Let's go through our skydive again. Okay, put your head back on my shoulder. And, just, and, and it was so much fun, and I didn't care because I was really stressed out. Tandems were not fun for me. I didn't break anybody's ankle. I never, never had any injury of a tandem, but I always knew it was coming, right? But it, so, so I actually enjoyed the fact that you got a kick out of, out of uh, picking up on other people's tandems. But anyway, so yeah, so, so, so a, a father, son, and mother, and another son had shown up to the drop zone. And I think I was I was doing the tandem class as well. And father was going, son was turning 18. Mom wanted nothing to do with it. And I don't remember if it was me that upsold 
the uh, the tanda, but we had talked her into going, and she said, "Well, if I'm going to go in the strong French accent, I want to go with you." And I said, oh, "Okay, well, well I, 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 I'm okay. We'll do that." So we get in the airplane, and she's clingy. You know, as I'm gearing her up, she's clinging on me. And this is a very beautiful. You know, I'm I'm coming up on my early forties, or excuse me, late. I'm coming up on forty. She's probably in her, I'd say. Or late forties, mm. and she's a very, very good-looking French woman. Sure, and she's speaking to her husband in French. She's speaking to me in French, and she has to keep correcting herself because she's forgetting that I'm speaking English. And it's very attractive, and she's very good-looking, and she's flirting. We're having a great time, and and the whole ride to altitude, she's terrified. I keep, you know, letting her know. And by this time, she's completely forgotten about her son and her husband, <laughs> which are in the plane. She's complete. Yeah, which are in the plane. Now she's just really wants. But you, women, ha, it's funny. I've never had a woman tell me no. It's always the guys that, that decide. Oh, it's the guys that back out. Especially like you, the, the guy with the, with the, the, the razors yeah, and, yeah. and he's the yeah. gung-ho guy. Guys lose the their one, shit. Yeah, so I, so I knew she was going to go skydiving. So I just kept telling her how fun it's going to be and how great it's going to be. And and so uh, as as we're getting towards the door, I start hearing her make this this sound, this this kind of a, oi, ha. Oi, oi, oi. And it's this, it's a high pitched, really, and she's taking these horrible deep breaths. And I'm telling her, just calm down, slow, slow, slow down. But you're ready to make a skydive, and she's just looking at me like, "Do it, <laughs> right?" So we we exit, and as I'm leaving, you know that sound, ah, it fades away. Yep. Geeks the camera has a wonderful time. Pete Galley's the camera flyer, and. Uh, and she's geeking the camera. She has a wonderful time. And then I go to tap, tap, tap and uh, nothing. And uh, she's not going to pull the parachute. So I pull the parachute for her. And as the canopy's opening, I can hear that uh, coming back. And she is howling in French. And then I start feeling these body shudders. I mean, she's shuddering. And then she, 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 it was, it was building up. She do and something in French, something in French. Hey, Oh, just the shudder. <laughs> and I mean, it, and, and it was so loud that, and, and I kept wanting to say, okay, I need you to put your foot on my foot so I could, and, but she, wait, 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 uh, it would go again. And this went on for a while. So I'm, t- I got the toggles, I'm flying around and, and, it, and each one gets a little bit longer and louder. And then finally she, it's, it's like, she's trying to sneeze. She's got one more left. <laughs> And she tells me this in English. Wait, wait, wait! I'm too orgasm. Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> and then she one more just lets it out in a full body shudder. And I'm thinking, okay, so that's over. Okay, let's go ahead and put your feet on my feet. And then she's just thanking me, and she's trying to reach around to grab my head. She's saying, "Kiss me, can you kiss me? Just kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me on my, kiss me on my lips, kiss me." Oh. I love you. I love you. I orgasm. I orgasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. You're there. I, 100%. I believe you. See? And, uh, <laughs> I believe you. And, and so, this, so she keeps telling me, keeps telling me, keeps telling me the whole way down. And so she never flies the canopy, anything. We land. And then Galley immediately realizes something's going on because she's waving her hand in front of her face and she's flushed. <laughs> and he puts, puts the camera in her face and she yells, I fucking orgasm. I fucking orgasm. <laughs> And the first thing, and I, I, she, and she turns back at me in, in, in frame and says, thank you. And you hear me go, no, no, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. And then the husband lands right next to us and she has to tell him. Of course. Oh, he made me orgasm. And the sun comes in and she, 
sort of sort of explains it to him what just happened. The fa- the the son thanks me for the skydive. His dad gives me a hug and says thank you and like okay yeah uh, wow I just was it was the most unnerving and 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 I'd never of all the tandems that I had done and I, 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 there might be one other story you're going to ask me about but that one well that one caught me out because I'd never had a student have that kind of reaction you know exactly the story I'm going to ask you about because this is this is the story we're gonna we're gonna finish off with this one because this is probably one of my favorites as well. You've had, again, the probably the most broken skydiver I ever know to continue skydiving. Um, oh yeah, by by far. Um, you, you've had some bizarre experiences on the ground um, in the skydiving world, but you also have had the two strangest tandem skydives with women I've ever heard about. That being one of them, a French woman that orgasms all the way to the ground under canopy. But what was the other one that you know I'm asking and then, about? And then tells and then tells everybody and then tells. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and yeah, she walked around the drop zone telling everybody that that I gave her an of orgasm, course. and 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 I think she was trying to say she had an orgasm, but I, but the way she was saying it in French was, you know, he gave it gave to me you. An yeah. orgasm. And I, I I remember thinking, I didn't touch anything. I didn't touch anything. So I think I know where you're going with your story. No, no, no. no. Well, the the last one, um, this was I think under canopy. You got a very strange request from a. No, it was actually in the it was in the airplane. In the airplane. That also got caught. It was in the airplane. So so it was a it was a an elderly woman. Um, who got very flirtatious as we were getting towards the airport. Well, now, wait, wait. And she said, I'm going to... Define gonna... elderly, because both you and I are getting up there. So what's elderly? Well, I'm I'm at the time... This is before Marcus had me come do, or thank God I never had to, do tandems in Kauai. Um, but I was probably 39, or maybe it was right after I got home. But it was, it was, it was around then. So um, she's probably late. Mid to late fifties. Okay. All right. So and getting I, and I, and, and, mature. Right. And 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 and, a, and an attractive woman, but she let it be known on the way to the aircraft that she had a request, and um, you know she she the nervousness had, had faded away and she had a request and she was holding my hand on the way to the aircraft, which I thought was kind of a little bit different. Sure. And um, so we as we're climbing in, I sit in her lap and she says, "Yeah, I I, I have a request." I said, "Wait, wait, it, it yes." But you know, thinking backflip or whatever, and I, I, I'm not going to do any of that stuff, right? So, um, it, we get to the 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 part where I say, "Okay, let's let's run through our skydive really quickly." I'm going to put your head back on my shoulder, and when I do, she says something, and I don't quite hear it. About that time, Matt Stevens is doing video. He spins around to do the the first brief. Right. On the way to altitude, puts the camera right in her face, turns it on, and I'm asking her, I didn't hear that. And she says something, again, trying to be um, Subtle. Uh, discreet, and I didn't hear it again. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And she yells, I want you to squeeze my fucking nipple <laughs> as hard as you can. <laughs> and and so there's no, like, right now or or on exit or and, – and I don't – and I look at Matt – who I don't realize has the video rolling and the look in his face is this is priceless this is priceless. And she says, yeah, when we, it's okay, you can do it. I don't mind as hard. And you have to do it hard. And she's trying to grab my hands to show me like a little, we'll do a little practice sesh, you know, a little handles check. And you see me in the video holding my hands as far away from her as possible. Cause you know, I don't know what, what you know, right. safety rule that. Is. And, uh, so I convinced her that, yes, I will do that. Yes, that, that's what we will do. And she reminds me a couple more times, and I think that's on video as well. And uh, 
yeah, we get to the door. She reminds me again. Yep, yep, yep. That's what we're going to do. And on exit, you see me full squirrel, arms out as far as they can go <laughs> and nowhere near touching her. Right. <laughs> Matt Stevens has got the I've never seen a camera fly with a grin nodding like, do it, do it, do it. And, and so we went through the whole sky. I've never touched her. We get under canopy. She's not having the French orgasm, but she's swearing to God that was the best nipple pinch she'd ever felt in her entire life. <laughs> and, and can you just one more, give me one more, give me one more. And I said, no, 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 we got way too much to do now. So you go ahead and take these. No, no, no. We plenty just to go real quickly. No, no, no. So grab it. We got, Oh, we got to get your feet up here. And I just kept telling her, I got this, I got this. We got to do this. We got to get into the pattern. And then we get on the ground and she starts the same thing, telling people how I had just practically twisted her nipples off and on the oh. exit. And it was the, greatest thing she'd ever felt and it was something that she'd always wanted to experience See, i always got those two i don't know if i mixed those two stories up or i combined them i think i combined them because i i had remembered it wrong and that it was something about nipples and an orgasm and all this and that and i didn't realize it was two separate women until we talked about it before <laughs> that's even better well, it got a little got a little better i mean just really fast about three or four weeks went by it was towards the end of that summer and I had I had pulled a really really good looking younger blonde to 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 do a tan and I we were doing four way training for something and and uh, and Neil had walked over and said hey can you squeeze one in I said sure and trained her up and then um, you know I always kept my rig on that over by where we had that that TV on the one of the uh, it looked like a, a bench that came out of an airplane or a, a seat that came out of an airplane so I could kind of halfway off the ground to, to get it on my back and she walked up. And said, I have a kind of a strange request, and I hear you're the person to ask. And her boyfriend is standing behind her. And she says, on exit, can you grab and squeeze my nipples as hard as you can? And I, you just see me sit back down. The reason why you see me is because I, when, when something like that happens and you notice that all the camera flyers are pointing their cameras at you, you realize you're getting geeked. Right. So they had set this up and Colin Bruce had set this up. One of my teammates, he'd said, Hey, walk over to him and, and ask him to grab your nipples and squeeze them as hard as they can. And just, just see what his reaction is. And I'm thinking, how does this happen to me twice? <laughs> right. And you see me just slump down on the bench thinking I put my hand up kind of like, no one's going to believe this. And then the hanger just erupts. Of course. She said, so she, she said something like, no, my boyfriend's right here. He says, it's okay. And he's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> And then the hanger erupts, and I'm like, you fuckers. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if it could happen twice to anybody, it could happen twice to you. Well, that was my first thinking was that no one's going to believe nah. me. This one, no, this one, no one will nah, believe me. No, no, no. Well, I, actually, I would believe it. I totally would believe it. Well, I'll tell you what. We have covered some fucking crazy ground from burnt scrotum to... Uh, multiple crazy broken bones to um, squeezing nipples and French orgasms out the door to jumping off of hangers and what the fuck have I missed? It, it, this has probably been by far the most gruesome, sexist podcast I've done yet. Well, and, and you have to realize I was I lived there for ten years. We haven't even really scratched. No, the surface. no, which is why I was uh, um, I was thinking and well, was about we'll, to we'll have to do a part. We'll have to do a part two because, I mean, there, there's there's antics that need to be told. There's antics that, that don't need that to be told that we have to tell. to tell. Yeah. No, no, no. no. You yeah. will be a recurring yeah. part of this. There's no doubt. But 
But to everyone listening, I know you all have video of a lot of this stuff. So believe me, some of the stories won't get any more graphic than that. Well, I think um, that you need to make a deal. I have grandkids. You need to make a deal. And the deal is for anybody that's got incriminating video of you, if they turn it over to you now, you won't tell the stories oh, they, you know about they, them. They won't. I, I've often wondered, what are they doing with I, I think you made a comment in one of your podcasts that, or one, and one of your guests said that if he ever got in a fire, he'd, he'd make sure his kids were okay and then go get his memories. Yep. I think you said that you've got the same yep. thing. I I know that through the course of my life, people are going to run, run across a video of me and Scott Meeker doing something, of me and and doing something to or with uh, any a number of host of people over the course of the ten years that we lived there. And some of it was hilarious. Some of it was way too too graphic for this day and yep. age with this this political climate. Yep. And some of it was just downright funny and bonding and. And interesting, and and so, but yeah, no, I, I I wish you well on this podcast. I think it's great that that you're doing this, and I hope I hope it gets big. You need to get some sponsors, and you know, even if even if you're a micro influencer, I think this is great for the sport. I mean, this is what and why Kaleidoscope was such a great team because we were an elderly group of we we were approachable. We were managing stuff on the weekends and, and we, we were a team of, of, uh, young guy all the way up to the, to an old guy who, who, who we all had extremely different backgrounds. And, um, it, we, we, we wanted to bring in as many people into the sport. Sure. And I think that's what made our team so interesting is we, we became such a tight niche group of sure. friends because we had such varying different backgrounds. And, uh, and like you said, the, the the sport has changed in some of your podcasts, the the tunnel flyers and some of the talent that's coming up still need to remember to to have that humble side to bring people in. For sure. Well and to maybe, and maybe not maybe not to jump off a hangar, but but to to definitely well to participate in this sport. To mentor and to uh to um teach the people that are coming up the hard lessons that we've learned. And this is the only sport I've been in the only activity I've ever done where I happily learned from other people's mistakes. Um, and to teach people to do that. And the idea behind the podcast has always been, um, just like walking up to the bonfire and you get to listen into a conversation from longtime jumpers that, you know, have been at it for a while and they're just telling big fish stories and having fun, but right. learning lessons as well. And that's kind of the whole idea behind it. Talking to older skydivers, talking to newer skydivers. This isn't about uh, uh, trying to get a bunch of badasses. This is about talking and not even just skydiving, any extreme sports that uh, you get the opportunity to just climb into somebody's mind. And find out right. what makes them tick and why did they decide to do this. And you already said the one thing literally everybody on my podcast has said. They got into or stayed in skydiving because of the community. Um, and right. I, I think it is by far the most important part and probably one of the reasons that so many of us consider ourselves so fucking lucky. I certainly am. When I moved, when I moved to L.A. and, and I and, – and I have never felt homesick. I left home happily, not because of fighting or anything. Just I, I, and, and I went to a, a high school away from my home high school. I, I had never felt homesick until I moved out of the double wide. It was just time, you know. Sure. Ryan and Candy were getting married. I was taking a job in L.A., and I was homesick. And I won't drive to the Bay Area or anywhere without stopping at Skydance. Sure. I'll park right where Ray parks. Sure. And if and when they see me, manifest will open up their window. You can't park there. Oh no, no, I've just got to pay rent or I got to do a thing, and right. I'm just stopping to use the restroom. Right. 
And then I'll come out and one of the owners, I don't even know who they are, haven't introduced myself. What are you doing? And I'll glance over to see what plane they have. And I'll say, oh, I got the caravan thing. Or I've got your 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 pack thing. That you, uh, yeah. And then I'll just drive away. <laughs> and they're probably wondering, who's that fucking prick? We see him about every three or four weeks, sometimes every other couple of months. No, no. But I, I miss it so bad. I'll, if I just need to decompress, I'll just go park at the drop zone or I'll just go park oh, over by the double well, line. Now you, just think about now, shit. Uh, now, I can set my computer up and work on stuff. Well, and, now you're going to have to set your computer up so you can shoot the shit with me. Yeah, no, definitely. And I appreciate you asking me to be on it when you when you sent me that text saying, hey, got a question for you. I thought it had nothing to do with being on no, the podcast. Man, so man. I, I, I don't I don't know if I even can sit, can can hold a candle to any of the folks that you've had on. Um, Again, it's about the I, I lo- I, it's about the experience and it's about the the journey getting there and and then the the craziness and the fun stuff and the, sometimes the sad stuff that happens when we're living these lives. That's what it's about, man. Well, look, Jim, it's been fucking amazing, amazing catching up, and this is not going to be the last time we do it, both on and well, off I, the air. It, and anytime, but again, it's good to hear and see you and and talk to you, and and you got to keep this oh. up for for the community because when I first heard it, I thought, what a brilliant idea, and and then everyone gets better as your learning curve goes up, and the, and the guests you have get get better, and hopefully, I'm the one that people just skip over because it's oh, no. ludicrous. No, but, no. But you got to keep having on the people that, that 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 guys like me can live vicariously through. And again, I mean, the the swing of emotions that I've had listening to the different people, like the the gentleman in the wheelchair, was extremely inspiring. Yeah, Jared, it's awesome. Um, yeah, some of those Moss, crazy funny. Right? Yeah, Moss was you got him to sing Queen at the end there. That was of awesome. which he knew one of every ten words. You said something like that at the oh, end too. I don't think he knows the yeah. words, but he's having fun. Uh, that's what it's about, man. You know? All right, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to do this again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim. Take care. All right. This has been another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with me, the fucking pilot. Brought to you proudly in association with Blue Skies Magazine. Head on over to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can get yourself some really cool swag like leggings and t-shirts and previously published uh, issues. And you can also submit your own really cool stories. If I can write for the magazine, so can you. So drop a line to Laura and Cola and let them know what you've been up to. As for me, uh, you can catch my stuff at thefuckingpilot.net. There you're going to have links not only to all my guests, but you're going to be able to get your hands on both the books that I've published. Uh, The Blue Skies Magazine Fucking Pilot book was the first one out, and the second one out now is The Accidental Stripper. Uh, You can catch both of those in digital and print format via Amazon, but links straight to them are on my website. You can also catch me on Facebook at The Effin Pilot, E-F-F-I-N Pilot, and Instagram at the princess pilot Uh, both of those will get you links not only to my stuff but to my guest as well as always it's been a blast having you and we will see you next time around on lunatic fringe into the void